Our first scripture reading comes from 2 Samuel chapter 12. 2 Samuel chapter 12, verses 1 through 13. Our main focus is Psalm 51 this morning, but Psalm 51 has an introduction that tells us that this is the backstory of Psalm 51. And so we want to give careful attention first to 2 Samuel 12, verses 1 through 13, as we hear a little bit of the backstory of David's song of confession. Second Samuel 12, beginning in verse 1. The Lord sent Nathan to David, and when he came to him, he said, There were two men in a certain town, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb he had bought. He raised it, and it grew up with him and his children. It shared his food, drank from his cup, and even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveler who had come to him. Instead, he took the ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for the one who had come to him. David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, as surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this deserves to die. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. Then Nathan said to David, you are the man. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. I anointed you king over Israel and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave you, I gave your master's house to you and your master's wives into your arms. I gave you the house of Israel and Judah, and if all this had been too little, I would have given you even more. Why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his eyes? You struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and took his wife to be your own. You killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now, therefore, the sword will never depart from your house because you despised me and took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own. This is what the Lord says. Out of your own household, I am going to bring calamity upon you. Before your very eyes, I will take your wives and give them to the one who is close to you, and he will lie with your wives in broad daylight. You did it in secret, but I will do this thing in broad daylight before all Israel. Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. I invite you to turn now to Psalm 51 as we hear that prayer of confession. There might have been many prayers that David offered to God when he heard Nathan confront him in his sin, but this is the prayer that is recorded for us in sacred scripture, in Psalm 51. Again, during our summer series, we're hitting many different psalms together, and we're looking at different flavors of psalms that express different things that are in our hearts. And this morning we come to one particular psalm that's what's called a penitential psalm, a psalm that expresses our repentance from sin. And so Psalm 51 is our focus this morning. Notice again the introduction, the superscription, for the director of music, a psalm of David, when the prophet Nathan came to him after David had committed adultery with Bathsheba. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out 
my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned, and done what is evil in your sight, so that you are proved right when you speak, and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Surely you desire truth in the inward parts. You teach me wisdom in the inmost place. Cleanse me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins, and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will turn back to you. Save me from blood guilt, O God, the God who saves me, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth would declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. In your good pleasure, make Zion prosper. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then there will be righteous sacrifices, whole burnt offerings to delight you. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. This is the word of the Lord. Indeed, may God write this psalm on our hearts this morning. Well, last week in our morning sermon, uh, we heard about the anxious heart from Psalm 42 and 43. And in those psalms, we considered um, the reasons why the psalmist was weighed down and cast down in his soul. Again, there are many things that can weigh us down in this life. Uh, Being far from the people of God for a time. Sickness overwhelming stress or just difficult circumstances of life uh, can bring us down. But one other area of life that can drain us spiritually is sin. We can be weighed down with guilt in our minds and in our hearts. And especially when we don't confess our sins, but we try to keep them on the inside, it's like we're holding inside a deadly poison that is rotting us from the inside out even though on the outside we pretend that everything is okay. But Psalm 51, beloved, teaches us what it looks like to live in the light, and it shows us that in the light of repentance, we find God's gracious remedy for our sin sickness. And in Jesus Christ, we find a Savior whose grace abounds over all of our sins. Uh, But this morning, we want to ask the question, what does repentance look like, right? How do we handle the guilt that all of us feel on the inside? And here in David's prayer, beloved, we see three things that shows us what repentance looks like. First, we see acknowledgement. Second, we see appeal. And third, we see adoration for God. Uh, Just a mental note, if you do take notes, the second point will be our main focus. Uh, But we begin first with acknowledgement. David acknowledges God, he acknowledges his sin. 
When it comes to facing our guilt, beloved, we must first turn to God. And that might seem like quite a simple point, but it's actually, I think, a very difficult point for us to put into practice. Right, as human beings, we try to deal with our nagging guilt in so many other ways. Some of us try to drown our feelings of guilt in alcohol or some other substance that just helps us to forget our woes for a little bit. Others become workaholics and they just stay busy so that they never have to slow down and deal with what's going on on the inside. We could even try to remove our guilt in more pious efforts. Perhaps we say, I'll be generous with other people. I'll volunteer my time to help others. I'll post about politics or social justice causes on my social media. Maybe if I fight the good fight in some particular area of life, it will help me to feel better on the inside. And many of those things, beloved, are good to do, but none of those things could absolve us of that guilt that we feel inside. Notice again in our text, King David swept his sins under the rug for a time, and this left him feeling spiritually sapped of life. Uh, in the introduction, again, the superscription, we get a window into the occasion of this psalm. Again, as we heard already, David was appointed as the king of Israel. And he was entrusted with great power and responsibility to care for God's people. And although David is a man after God's own heart, we see even men like David fall. And they fall greatly. David, on an occasion, used his power not to serve others, but to serve his own sinful passions when he saw another man's wife bathing on the roof. And he sent his men to take Bathsheba to himself, and then he violated her sexually. On top of that, he had her husband Uriah killed after he was unable to convince him to sleep with Bathsheba when he returned from battle. Notice, beloved, in David's fall, we see him breaking all of those commandments that we heard earlier in our service. He covets his neighbor's wife, he steals, he commits adultery, he murders, and he lies by trying to cover up his sin. And all of this is swept under the rug for at least nine months. And we know that because when Nathan confronts David, a baby has already been born to Bathsheba. Nathan the prophet confronts David in a tactful way, in a subtle way, telling him this story that subtly exposes his sinful actions. And after David comes to grips with what he has done, he says again in 2 Samuel 12, I have sinned against the Lord. And in Psalm 51, we see his heart. He acknowledges God and he acknowledges, notice, his sin against God. Lord, you only, against you and you only, have I sinned. Again, I know for all of us, it's difficult for us as human beings and as sinners to actually own up to our failures. We tend to minimize our sins. We tend to excuse our sins. We tend to even justify our sins at times, thinking, uh, you know, it wasn't really that bad, or, man, there's much worse people out there in the world. Think of how Adam and Eve hid from God when they sinned in the garden. Think about how they tried to shift blame and put it on someone else. We often do the same. Brothers and sisters, what happens when we try to keep our sins under the rug? What happens when we 
hide and hold on to our sins. David tells us in Psalm 32, we sang of it. David says, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all the day long. It's hard to walk around with a guilty conscience. You see, David had money. David had privilege. David had status. David had a wife that he wanted. He had all these things, but he lived with this constant groan in his spirit because God's hand was heavy upon him. And so he was restless. He had no energy. He lost his zeal for life. I wonder if you have ever been there. I know that I have. We can't be happy hiding from God. And David here acknowledges his sin in verse 3. And he says in verse 4, it's ultimately against the Lord. Yes, he sinned against Bathsheba and God's people and Uriah, but ultimately his sin was before the face of Almighty God. Maybe some of you men or even women who are familiar with Jocko Willink, you might know principle number one of good, faithful leadership. It's what? Extreme ownership. When it comes to our failures... We're not to blame other people or sweep certain problems under the rug, but we're to take ownership, extreme ownership of our wrongdoing and of our failures before Almighty God. And that's 1 John chapter 1, verse 8. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You want to go throughout this life living in true spiritual freedom with a heart that is set free, with a conscience that is clean. David teaches us that first, beloved, we must acknowledge God and we must acknowledge our sin. But there's more. We don't stop there. We see David, secondly, and this is the main chunk of our psalm, we see David appeal to God's grace and to God's power. It's our second point, David's appeal. David doesn't just wallow in his guilt, all weighed down, but what does he do? He appeals to God's grace to remove his sin, and he appeals to God's power to change his heart. Verse 1 and 2, we see him first appealing to God's grace to remove his sin. Notice the language, Lord, blot out my transgressions, wash away my iniquity, cleanse me from my sins. You see his heart, don't you? Blotting out refers to a a king who, who can blot out certain writings from a book. David wants God to remove that record of wrongs that stands against him. Lord, blot it out. Cleanse me, he says. Cleanse me has to do with, you know, doing laundry in biblical times. Washing a filthy garment. David says, there's many stains on my life. Ugly stains. Lord, wash me thoroughly from all of my sins. He talks about cleansing here as well. That that relates to being a ceremonial clean in God's sight, fit for worship. David wants to be purified as God's king to worship him again. On what basis does David ask for these things? Well, notice he appeals again to God's mercy. According to your abundant mercy... When we fall into sin, beloved, our hope is not in ourselves that we're just going to do better next time. But our hope 
is in our merciful God who does not treat us as our sins deserve. And in confession, we cast ourselves on God's mercy. We say with that tax collector in Luke 18, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. David appeals to mercy, and he appeals to what? God's unfailing love. That's the word we've been hearing throughout the Psalms, God's chesed, his covenant love, that love that sticks to his people like superglue. Remember when Israel sinned against God by making that golden calf in Exodus 32, Moses prayed for the people that God would not judge them and punish them, and God said he would forgive them because what? He says, I am a God who is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in chesed and loving kindness. This is the kind of love that David is appealing to, the love of God that does not let us go, even when we've fallen. He appeals to his mercy. He appeals to his unfailing love. He appeals to God's great compassion. God is kindly disposed towards his children. Psalm 103, as a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. And now that David has turned again in fear, he appeals to God's compassionate and fatherly heart. I think this psalm, God in his wisdom, gives us this psalm and he gives us the backstory of David's sins to show us, beloved, that even the worst sins of our life can be forgiven. Don't we all have sin in our life that we're ashamed of? Skeletons in the closet, as it were? Here, God is opening the closet and he's showing us the skeletons that were in David's closet. But the prophet Nathan said to David in 2 Samuel 12, 14, the Lord has put away your sin. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. You see, in the Old Testament, there was actually no provision made for the cleansing of an adulterer to the law. And so how can David's gross sins be blotted out in God's sight? Well, David looked beyond all of the sacrifices of the law to the cleansing power of God's coming Messiah. He looked by faith to the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ. And that's why we read Romans 3, 23 through 26. There God says, uh, Paul writes that in the past, God, he, he passed over former sins so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. God did not sweep David's sins under the rug, but he dealt with David's sins through the work of David's greater son, Jesus Christ. And Jesus was put forward as a propitiation for our sins, meaning that he came to bear the full weight of God's justice and anger towards our sins. Beloved, the guilt that we feel on the inside if we are in Christ, was laid upon the shoulders of Jesus. And that record of wrong that was against us was nailed to that wooden cross so that all of our sins, past, present, and future, might be paid in full by the Son of God. And the blood of Jesus, which is of infinite worth because he's the Son of God, 
was shed on that cross to cleanse us thoroughly from all of our sins. As we'll sing after this sermon, guilty, vile, and helpless we, spotless Lamb of God was he. Full atonement can it be? Hallelujah, what a Savior. And now the psalmist could say words like this, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. And this is on the basis of what Isaiah said in Isaiah 53, verse 6, the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. This is the basis for our confession. This is the basis for why David could hear, and you could hear this morning, that you are clean in God's sight. That's verse 7. Look at it now. David says, Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Hyssop uh, was that branch used by the priest in the Old Testament to sprinkle a leper or to sprinkle a house that had a disease in it in order to declare it clean. You can see that in Leviticus 14. Cleansing came at a cost. And David is crying out to God as his great priest to come and to make him clean and to declare him clean. And as Christians, we come, don't we, to our great high priest, Jesus, who paid the price for our redemption. And we trust that when we confess our sins, God doesn't turn us away, but he actually declares us clean and he makes us clean. David says, wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Yet some of us struggle, even maybe this morning, with feeling so dirty. Maybe we don't even have a positive view of ourselves. We wonder how God can love us. Dear Christian, hear the word of God. When we confess our sins, God makes us whiter than snow. Isaiah 1.18, though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Snow is not just white on the outside. It's not just like paint, you know, one layer just to cover up on the very outside. Nope, snow is white through and through, right? It's pure through and through. And God is saying when you come and you confess your sins, God makes you whiter than snow. Jesus is the double cure for you. He clothes you outwardly in his righteousness and then he makes you pure on the inside, whiter than snow. And that's what we see David appealing to here. He appeals to God's grace to remove his sin, and he appeals to God's power to renew his heart. Verse 10 of Psalm 51, David says, Create in me a pure heart, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Beloved, when it comes to repentance, it's not just about avoiding sins, but it's about actively pursuing what is good and holy in God's sight. And that's what God, that's what David here is praying for. God, create in me, create in me a clean heart. He's appealing to God's power. That word create, it's that word from Genesis 1 and 2 where God created by his word, this world by the power of his word. David is praying for a miracle. God, create in this man's heart something that's not there right now, a steadfast and an obedient spirit. Breathe new life into me, Lord. Where did David's sin come from? Verse 5, surely I was sinful at birth, right? Even from conception, David had a sin nature, just like you and me. And so his sinful actions didn't come out of nowhere. They flowed from his fallen heart. 
The same is true for us when we sin. Sometimes, again, we blame circumstances or people for our sin. You know, my kid's bad behavior or my bad day at work made me lose my temper. No, sin flows from our own hearts. How can we change? We can only change when we, with David, humbly look to God's power to change our hearts. David prays, renew a steadfast spirit within me. He's asking God, make me a man after your own heart again. See, true repentance, beloved, is not just saying with our lips, God, forgive me, but, but God, help me to now walk in your ways again. Help me to live on the path of Christ-likeness. Not too long ago, I read a testimony of a man uh, who grew up doing bare-knuckle fighting. Uh, he grew up being bullied, and so he became a bit of a hard man who was always in fistfights with other people. And later in life, God saved this man, uh, but since he's all, you know, tattooed up, he says he tends to attract people who still want to fight him at times. And he tells one story saying this, this is last year I had a near miss in the car. The gentleman in the other car was very angry. He stopped, got out of the car, slammed the door. He came running at me for a fight. And I was so tempted to go back to my old ways and to teach him a lesson, but instead I grabbed him by the shirt to restrain him and calmly explain that if it were not for Jesus Christ working in my life, he would be in the hospital. The man quietly went back to his car. See, because of Jesus, this man here is, is made a change in his lifestyle, saying no to that old desire in him and saying yes to living for Christ. And that is what we are called to do as Christians. In the Bible, uh, when we see people encounter Jesus's grace and mercy it changes their life right think of Zacchaeus who was a tax collector who who not only collected taxes but stole people's hard-earned money but when he became to believe in Jesus he not only gave back what he stole but he gave even more think of the Ninevites who repented at the message of Jonah the Ninevites, wicked people, put on sackcloth and were told in Jonah 3 they turned away from their violence and their oppression. God's grace changes our life. Beloved, can those close to you see a change in your life? Can people see a change in, in how you talk and what you post about and how you treat other people when no one else is watching and how you love people who are very different from you? God is calling us to pray that he might renew our hearts. In verse 12, here's another thing David is praying for. God, restore to me the joy of your salvation. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. How is our joy in God connected with our fight against sin? You see, when we delight in God, we can fight sin because we see God as a greater treasure in our hearts. Listen to this quote by John Piper. He writes this. He says, sin is what you do when your heart is not satisfied with God. No one sins out of duty. We sin because it holds out some promise of happiness. That promise enslaves us until we believe that God is more to be desired than life itself. And see, that is part of David's heart here. He's asking God to fill his heart with the joy of his salvation in Christ so that he can treasure God above all. Because only when we treasure God can we say no to the lesser pleasures of sin. 
when we find joy in Jesus Christ, we can say no to materialism because we trust in Christ who told us godliness with contentment is great gain. When we find joy in Christ, we could say no to things like pornography because we trust the words of Jesus who said, blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. When we find joy in Christ, we can say no to pride because we trust the scriptures that say God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. David appeals to God's grace to forgive him. He appeals to God's power to change him. And as we conclude here, just one final thought. We see this leads David to worship and to adore God, to adore God again. Notice in verse 13, then, Lord, after you've forgiven me and cleansed me, then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will turn back to you. And again, verse 15, O Lord, open my lips and my mouth would declare your praise. You see, in the psalm, beloved, there's actually a movement from guilt to gratitude. David praising God again because of the grace that he is to experience. We see that when we live in repentance, we are fit to tell others, to teach others about Jesus, and we're freed to praise God again. Notice David says, when when you restore me, then sinners will return to you. I will teach other people about you. Indeed, David's teaching us this morning through his testimony. He's taught thousands throughout the church. And you could hear an echo of Jesus' words to Peter here in this text. When Jesus foretells Peter's denial, he says to Peter, Peter, I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. God's grace can restore what sin has taken away. And we see David here, and as he adores God, he he humbly prays that God would open his lips, that he could sing about God's goodness and declare his praise. The lips, beloved, that confess sins are opened by God's grace to sing of forgiveness, to sing of God's abundant mercy. And that's what happens in Scripture. When people experience God's grace, they celebrate that grace. Psalm 103, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit. And finally, in this text, we see in this adoration part how important repentance is for our worship, verse 16 and 17. David says, you don't delight in sacrifice. Uh, David is saying here, God, you don't delight in empty religion or just going through the motions. But what does God delight in? David tells us it's humble hearts, broken hearts. That's it. Humble hearts that know they need Jesus. That's the only requirement for coming to God, to see your need for him. And why is this? Because the humble are no longer trying to atone for their own sins. The humble are are no longer trying to put their faith in religious systems to save them. But with David, the humble are appealing to grace alone to save them. And dear Christian, if that is you today, Know that the Lord does not despise you, but he looks upon you in love and compassion. So how do you handle guilt? Acknowledge your sin against God, 
and appeal to his grace alone to forgive you and to cleanse you. Only then will you be fit to tell others about Jesus and made ready to worship God. Beloved, repentance is the essence of revival in the church. There is no revival in a local church or in the church as a whole without repentance. And so today, as a church and as individuals, may we heed the call of Scripture to repent and to believe in the gospel. And may we know that when we do so, God's grace in Christ abounds over our sins and makes us whiter than snow. Amen. Let's pray. Our God in heaven, you are gracious and merciful. You're slow to anger, and you're abounding in steadfast love. This morning, we thank you for our sin-bearing Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ. Although he knew no sin, he became sin for us, that in him we might be the righteousness of God. And would you graciously work in our lives by your Holy Spirit so that we might walk in the light today as you are in the light, knowing that in the light of your presence there is freedom, there is change, and there is grace that abounds over all our sins. Hear our prayers this morning, for we pray this in the name of our great high priest in heaven, Jesus Christ. Amen.